fall. And, uh, but, as Roman was concerned that that was it for church, we're still going to have church on Sundays. <laughs> so you'll still be able to come on Sunday. Praise the Lord. But I am thinking about doing something. I probably am premature in even mentioning this, but I am thinking about during the week um, doing a half hour teaching every week through the summer and then just posting it uh, Wednesday night. And so you'd be either able to watch it Wednesday night or uh, any time during the week. But uh, <clears throat> anyway, I'm thinking about it. And the reason I told Miranda that is because Not that I'm a pessimist. I like to think of myself as an optimist, but I've had to settle for being a realist. So my concern is, if you don't have something during the week, there's people that will not look at the Word of God from Sunday to Sunday. And so at least if I put a half-hour teaching on and you watch it in four different settings, at least you got, got a little bit during the week. And so anyway, I'm thinking about it. And uh, so keep watching your Facebook and Bill, you'll have to look for Donna. And, uh, you know, and there'll be some notice. And I don't know if we can put it on the app or not. Uh, we can probably put it on the website. We'll put it on the, we'll, we'll, get, we'll have it someplace. So anyway, we're going to continue with, uh, the problem with the website is you wouldn't be able to see this beautiful face. So, I don't think so. So, anyway, we'll see. Okay, there we go. I tell you, it's wonderful, 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 wonderful. Okay, uh, let's move on with the teaching tonight, uh, since we're done with the music. Uh, so we're, <clears throat> we started a couple weeks ago talking about limiting God, and we're going to continue that theme tonight, and we're going to talk about limiting God, and from the standpoint of fear of man, probably one of the biggest things that limit us and keep us from fulfilling the plan, the purpose that God has for us in our lives is the fear of man, the fear of looking foolish, the fear of not being accepted. You know, I'm 70 years old. I thought I'd outgrow it, but, you, you know, I, I still want people to like me. I still want to be pleased. There's still that fear of rejection, and I just don't think we ever outgrow that. And so that's a tool that the enemy wants to use in our life to keep us um, from accomplishing, from fulfilling the plan of God, um, the fear of man. And so in your notes, it says fear, <clears throat> fear activates Satan and releases his power the same way that faith activates God and releases his power. And so fear is a force. It's a powerful force. Um, but uh, the enemy uses it 
uh, for destruction. The enemy uses it to keep us from uh, the plan of God. Because one of the things that fear does is it paralyzes us. It keeps us um, from living the life that we should live. To live a life of fear, it, it, it'll paralyze an individual. And if you see an individual that is full of fear, um, it, it keeps them from, uh, from fulfilling, not just simply speaking spiritually, the call that God has on their life, but in, in, in life in general, in everyday life, it paralyzes them, it keeps them from fulfilling the plan that God has for them. And the number one way that the enemy produces fear or uses fear is fear of man, fear of rejection, fear of not, um, not accomplishing or looking good. You know, as a melancholy, you know, the greatest fear you have as a melancholy is looking foolish uh, in, in front of people. You know, and so that's why, you know, you, uh, after being a preacher for 39 years and having uh, four children and a wife that uh, mock you every Sunday afternoon for the wrong usage of words and so forth, you, you begin to... Uh, you would think you'd get immune to it, but you really don't. Uh, and so, uh, yes, that, that's my life. And, uh, uh, but, you know, God created us uh, for relationship and fellowship. And really, that's, what it, that, that's why when we're dealing with people, we're dealing with relationship, we're dealing with fellowship. And that's why um, that... Fear comes against us. You know, in your scriptures, it has 1 Peter 5, 7. It says, cast all your cares upon him, for he cares for you. And some of those cares are fears. Casting that upon him, knowing that he cares for us, knowing that uh, we can rely upon him, we can depend upon him. You know, last week we talked about the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desires of other things. And how that's one of the things that keeps us um, from fulfilling the will of God or limiting God in our life. Well, you know, when we begin to talk about fear of man and so forth, that's, that's talking about, in, in some sense, the same thing. It's talking about those cares again. We allow them to rise up and we allow them to take a hold of us and they, they begin to hinder us in our walk. Um, when we start doing what God called you to do, you have a huge target on your back. You know, <clears throat> when you're going through life and it seems like every turn you make, uh, there, there, it, there's a struggle, there's something that's coming against you. We oftentimes look at ourselves and we examine ourselves and we think, oh, I'm, what am I doing wrong? Let me tell you something. Sometimes when it appears, when it appears that you know, life is a struggle and there's things coming against you and so forth, it's not because you've done so much wrong, it's because you've done something right. And what the enemy wants to do is he wants to discourage you, he wants to defeat you from the very get-go. You know, look at the examples that we have in, in Scripture. I think of Paul and I think of Peter and I think of <coughs> just thinking of the New Testament guys, the things that they went through. John the Baptist, you know, who barely you know, spent six months in his ministry and he was beheaded. 
I mean, you think of these individuals and the struggles that they had. And you look at it and you think, wow, they must have really done something wrong. No, they did something right. They were doing the plan of God. And so as a result of doing the plan of God, there was a target that was on their back. And as a result of that target, they were attacked. You know, <clears throat> we've talked about it a few weeks ago, how the scripture says that we are a peculiar people. When the scripture talks about being peculiar, that's not talking about being weird. It's talking about being different. And so we're different from the world. If we're not different from the world, that means we're the same as the world. And if they're the same as the world, we're not peculiar. And so we're not exhibiting, we're not demonstrating who we're supposed to be in Christ Jesus because the world, we're not supposed to look like them. We're to look differently. And so the moment that we begin to be different from the world, we immediately put a target on our back. Not just for the enemy to attack us, but from those in the world. That persecution is going to come our way. And it's not because we're doing something wrong. It's because we're doing something right. You know, <clears throat> I've shared how, you know, years back, when before we had the addition out front and so forth, we had this um, sign out front and it was wood. And, and uh, <clears throat> one morning I came to work and there was an um, inverted um, star of David or whatever. Anyway, it was a satanic symbol that was painted on our, our sign out there. And so, you know, that doesn't look real nice. And it was in red. And so I figured it was paint. And so I went and got some sandpaper and I was going to sand it off because I didn't want it to be there. And I'm out there and I'm sanding it. And it's, I thought, this is weird paint. It was like it was gummy. So I went and got some soap and water and I washed it off. It was blood. And so I was able to wash it off. And you know, there were other times I would, you know, especially after the weekend, I'd show up at church early on Sunday morning. I'd walk around the yard and pick up all the beer cans and beer bottles that had been thrown out in our yard the, the night before. And, you know, one, one Sunday morning I came in and there was a bottle that was thrown through our front window. And, you know, poor me, poor me, you know, the persecution come our way, you know. <clears throat> but you know what? I never once looked at it and thought, gee, what have, what have we done wrong? I looked at it and thought, we, we've done something right because we've ticked the devil off. Now, <clears throat> when those things started, stopped happening, then I began to wonder, you know, have we lost our influence? Are we not being, you know, <laughs> you know are, not we, are we not peculiar enough that they're, they're not attacking us any longer? And, you know, not that I want to be attacked. Not that I want to be attacked, everybody. <clears throat> you know, but the point that I want us to see is that when we begin to live our lives for Christ, we're different than the world. And the world will, will attack us. The world will say things. The world will do things. And oftentimes, some of the worst persecution will even come from other Christians. And the reason for that is because they're not living where they know they need to be living. And so <clears throat> the best way, you know, there, there, there's two ways of elevating yourself. The one way to elevate yourself is you lift yourself and you look down at everybody else. The other way is that you tear everybody down so that you still look down at them. And oftentimes that's what we see in the church, you know, because in the church we have to be humble, you know, so you can't elevate yourself. So what we do is we tear everybody else down. 
We, 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 and, and see, that's a ploy of the enemy. Because a house divided against itself, it's not going to stand. It's not going to prosper. It's not going to fulfill what it's supposed to do. And so we need to recognize that when the attack comes our way, that's not necessarily saying that we're doing something wrong. Now, when it comes, maybe we first of all need to examine ourselves and say, am I, am I doing what God has called me to do? You know, is my behavior the way that my behavior is supposed to be? But <clears throat> I think nine times out of ten, it's because we're doing something right. And so somebody's coming against us because um, they're feeling insecure or whatever it may be. And so we need to, um, to move on and continue to do the plan and the purpose of God. In Proverbs 29 uh, 25, it says, the fear of man brings a snare. Have you ever realized that? Have you ever thought about that? That fear of man, there, there's, a, there's a snare that goes along with it. But whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. The fear of man brings a snare. You know, I, I, I think of things that an individual wants to do in life, but it's the fear of man. You know, we, we can call it the fear of failure, you know, because a lot of people fear failure. And it keeps us from stepping out there because we're afraid that we're going to fail. But a lot of times the fear of failure even has a deeper root. And the deeper root is the fear of man, the fear of what man is going to think, what man is going to say about the whole situation. And so it says the fear of man brings a snare. But whoever trusts in the Lord shall be safe. So if we're so insecure we can't handle other people's criticisms, we will never see God's fullness in our life. You know, because everything that we do, there's the potential of being criticized. Even within the church, there's the potential of being criticized. You know, <clears throat> um, when I decided to go to Bible school, you know, after being a plumber for 10 years, and, um, you know, lived, had decent living and so forth, and I decided to, you know, we decided to sell everything and go into the ministry. You know, I'm just so thankful for the support that we got, you know, because, you know, <clears throat> now you gotta know my mom too. But my mom's response when she heard that we were going to do that, she says, well, you always did kind of like that sort of thing. You know, well, I guess that was, a, that was a positive. But, you know, there are a lot of people that criticized us, thought we were, we were wacko. We had lost our senses because how do you, at the age of 30 years old, when you have four children, go back to school uh, to start a whole new vocation to do something, you know, and then to be a pastor on top of it? How do you do that? Well, you don't do that without there being some people that think that you've lost a few screws upstairs. And uh, you're constantly going through it yourself because you're thinking, I obviously have lost a few screws up there because how in the world am I going to be able to uh, take care of my family and do the things that need to, need to be done? But you know what we do? Is we walk by faith. And we don't listen to what other men have to say, what people have to say. We listen to what 
God has to say about us. You know, in your notes, it's got 1 Kings 17.1. This is talking about Elijah and how God told him to go to the king and tell him that it's not going to rain for three and a half years. Now, let me tell you something. You're opening the door for some criticism. You're opening the door for some people to think that you have really lost at this time when you, when you go to the king and you tell him it's not going to rain for three and a half years. You know, because all you need is after two years for it to just sprinkle a little bit. But you know what? He did it. He, was, he obeyed God. And it says, And Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. Except at my word. Now, <clears throat> just to be certain, you better be confident that, that God's speaking to you when you, you make a statement like that. But he was. And why was he? Because he had heard the voice of God before. You know, that's why it's so important for us to be in the Word. That's why it's so important for us to, to have those times where we get by ourselves that we can learn to hear and listen to the voice of God. So that when he speaks to us, now I'm not saying that he's going to tell you that it's not going to rain um, for three and a half years. But he may tell you something. You know, I, I remember under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this was several years ago, and, and I've shared it from time to time, so I think most everybody's familiar with it. But <clears throat> when we were uh, approaching the fair time, and it was the weather was the absolute opposite of what it's been this spring. That it was so dry, and uh, the fair was about to to begin. And uh, I remember getting a call from Galen Devaloy, and, and he says, "You know, what would you think of getting the churches together to pray for rain? Because if we don't get some rain, the crop is going to be lost." And so I said, "That's fine." I gave him the in name of the president of the ministerial association, and we went out to the fairgrounds to the um, stands there, and and uh, we're going to have a prayer service for, for rain. And you know, just before we went out there, I I watched the news, and the weatherman says there's there's absolutely no rain in the forecast. This system is stuck over the Midwest, and it absolutely is not moving. And uh, I see absolutely no rain in the forecast for at least a week, if not more than a week. And so we come out, and, and I don't know, there weren't a lot of people, but there were several people that were there, and, uh, several churches represented. And as I'm walking up, I was asked, you know, when it's time to pray, you know, would you be willing to say the prayer? And I said, sure, I'll, I'll pray the prayer. And so we went through some stuff, and and it was time to pray, and so they called me forward, and so I went and stood up and in front. And, you know, and I think if I had been thinking, I would have never prayed this. But it, it, it came out of my spirit, and I said, 
you know, I, I spoke to that system and I said uh, that this system has to be moved in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And then I prayed some other thing, but at the end I said something like, and so in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, we command the heavens to open and the rains to come forth. You know, and something, something along those lines. And uh, nothing happened and everybody kind of left. And, uh, you know, and... You know, I, I just about lost it because I opened my eyes and there was a camera this far from my face. You know, and so we were on the news that night because all three of the networks from Des Moines were there filming it. And, uh, and so we're, we're home at night, nothing's happening. We're, we're sitting at 10, 15, watching the news. And the weather comes on, and, and the weather guy says, yeah, you know, this system that's here, we don't really see any rain. He said, except we see just one small cell over Jefferson, Iowa. And if you remember, it was Jefferson, Iowa in Greene County that had that prayer service tonight for rain. And it no more than got out of his mouth, and we heard this kaboom, this thunder. And Becky and I ran to the front porch and it was a downpour. And if I remember correctly, I believe, I believe the drought was broken. It, it all changed. Now, <clears throat> the thing about it is, like I said, if I had thought about it, I'd have never prayed that, especially if I knew it was going to be on TV. Because, you know, if we didn't get rain, do you know how foolish I would have looked? Mm -hmm. and do you know what people would have said about me and about us if, if it hadn't taken place? But see, that's where... That's what faith is, is stepping out there and believing that when God speaks to us, we can do it and we don't have to fear what man is going to say. Because it's the fear of man that will paralyze us and it'll keep us from speaking that which needs to be spoken. And so we need to be bold. We need to be confident in the things of God. And that's where Elijah was. He didn't say what he said because um, he had... Um, confidence in the king or anything else. He had confidence in the word that the Lord has given him. And that's where we are with the word of God. That's why when we pray for somebody and, and they, they, medical science says there's no hope for them, nothing's going to happen, we speak out what the word of God says, not worrying about the, confident, the, the consequences because we know that the word is truth. And let God be truth and every man a liar. And that's the decision that we have to make if we're going to see God's plan fulfilled in our lives and we stop limiting him. Because what we do, what that fear does, it not just simply limits us, it limits God. Because we're his hands, we're his feet, we're his mouth. You know, think back to a couple weeks ago when... Um, Barb shared, and we had the video from Blessman's, and Pastor Becky shared downstairs with the, uh, with the seniors. It was all talking about their hands and their service and so on and so forth. Well, that's how the kingdom of God works. You know, and so if the enemy can, can stop us, he can stop God from fulfilling his plan because he needs vessels that he can flow through. And so what's what's... Why does the enemy want to attack us and stop us and, and bring that fear of man into our lives? Because it paralyzes us, and if it paralyzes us, 
It paralyzes God's plan from being fulfilled in the earth. How shall they believe unless they hear? And how shall they hear unless there be a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they be sent? And you know, really, there's another step. How can they be sent unless they're willing to go? You know, because you can have all the money in the world to send somebody, but if you don't have anybody that's willing to go, because they're concerned about what man is going to say or what concerned about this, that, or the other thing, the plan and purpose of God isn't going to be fulfilled. It's amazing how insecure we become when we aren't in a vibrant relationship with God. We need to have someone else's approval. You know, we need to have somebody else's approval. We need God's approval. But it's an interesting thing. If, we, if we're not in a position where we're hearing from him, then all at once we've got to have the approval from man. And you know, <clears throat> nine times out of ten, man is never going to encourage you to step out in faith and complete and fulfill the will of God. At your back door. Yeah, okay. We'll be there in a minute. <laughs> Maddie's home. <clears throat> but, but see, we've got we've to know what his plan is. And the way that we know it is we get his approval. When he says it, it's settled. You know, we, I've quoted oftentimes what Smith Wigglesworth said. The Bible says that I believe it and that settles it. But you know, there's an ele another element of it. We need to be so familiar with the voice of God that when he says it, it's settled as well. We're going to speak it. We're going to say it. You know, <clears throat> I really think that that was one of the advantages of when we put a lot of emphasis on the manifestations, the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, because we, we learn, learn to Tune in to that voice. You know, because one of the things that I've learned about the Holy Spirit is um, very seldom when he's speaking to me, especially if it's something that I'm to share, word of uh, prophecy or interpretation of tongues, whatever it may be, <clears throat> very, very seldom do I have more than maybe one or two words that I know are from the Holy Spirit, and I begin to speak them, and that's when the rest comes. But you know, when, when, when you're insecure, when I was in my insecurity, you know, until I had at least a phrase, I wasn't about to say anything. You know why? Because I didn't want to look stupid. You know, what we need to do is stop, we start being less concerned about being and sounding stupid than not fulfilling the plan and the purpose of God and speaking out the will of God. I remember being in a service one time and uh, um, there was this guy, he, he gave a, a word of prophecy, and in his prophecy he starts out and he says, Yes, thus says the Lord, just as Noah crossed the Red Sea. <laughs> and he paused. And he says, I'll just forget it. <laughs> but you know what? He tried. And see, he recognized that it couldn't possibly be the will of God. <clears throat> I don't think God was upset with that. You know, I, I remember in Wapaka, we had this 
this guy, I mean, this, this guy wanted to prophesy so bad. Oh my, he, he wanted to prophesy. And, and so he would, he would, on a Sunday morning, he'd, he'd have a word and he'd stand up and he'd speak it out. And, and uh, you know, it was nice. But it wasn't really. It was, it was, I mean, it was really nice, but it wasn't really the Holy Spirit. But you know, by the time I left Wapaka, Wisconsin, that man would stand up on a Sunday morning, and when he spoke, it was the word of the Lord. Because what he was doing was he was learning the voice of the Spirit. You know, <clears throat> I really believe that the majority of my training didn't come from Christian Outreach School of Ministries. The majority of my training came uh, spending four and a half years of my life prior to that, after I got born again, in small groups where we would pray. And when we felt like we had something from the Holy Spirit, we would speak it out. And it was during those times that I learned to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and be bold enough to speak out, even when I wasn't totally sure, but I was pretty sure. But see, how do you, how do you learn something without doing it? How do you become confident in something without doing it? Now, the, <clears throat> the disadvantage of, of having church like we have is that it's not an environment that you can just allow people to practice. You know, that's why each and every one of us, we ought to have those times where, where we're by ourselves and we're, we're training ourselves, we're learning to listen to the Holy Spirit. Well, how do, how, do we, how do I do that, Pastor Dave? By doing it. You know, I had uh, um, somebody who had just gotten back from a, mission trip a while back and had called me and said, you know, I, I, just, I just struggle when I get back to the States because there's so many distractions and everything and I, I feel like I'm hearing from God over, when, I'm, when I'm over on the mission field, but then when I get home, I don't, I don't feel like I hear it anymore. He says, this person says, what can I do to help train myself in that area? And, and I, I did, I shared an experience that I had at uh, Christian Outreach School of Ministries, where I, you know, again, you've all probably heard me share this, but we had to do outreach ministry, and I approached the instructor, and I said, the greatest need that I have in my life is quiet time with God. And to make a long story short, he approved that I could use as my outreach ministry four hours every Saturday morning, locked in by myself, um, praying and listening to the Spirit. But, but what he told me, and this was some of the greatest counsel that I've ever received in, in my life, he said, but when you're doing this, what I want you to do is lock yourself away, uh, pray in English, pray in tongues, and after you've done that, I want you to be quiet. And I want you to listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit. And then I want you to have a, a notebook and I want you to write down what you believe the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. 
And, and so I said, I'll, I'll, I'll do that. And he says, at the end of the semester, I want to see it. Because they wanted to make sure I was going to do it, I guess. Mm -hmm. But I did it. And it, was, and it was a training experience because you write it down and then you're able to go back and you're able to read it and you can, you can sense whether it was really the Holy Spirit that was speaking to you or not. But you, you're, you're training yourself to listen to the Holy Spirit. We've got to train ourselves to listen to God. Once again, Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of man brings a snare. What are we going to be? Are we going to be snared by the things of this world? Or are we going to place ourselves in a position where we can truly hear from God? You know, God wanted the children of Israel to enter into the promised land. But the Israelites focused their attention on the wrong thing. And you see, that's what we do. We focus our attention on the wrong thing. We begin to look at the circumstances. We begin to look at, you know, what, what will people think? In Numbers 13, verse 22, it says, And they went up through the south and came to Hebron, and a couple other places where the descendants of Elak uh, were there. Now, Hebron was built seven years before Zion of Egypt. Then they came to the valley of Eskal, and there cut down a branch with a cluster of grapes. They carried it between the two of them on a pole. And they also brought with them pomegranates and figs. The place was called the Valley of uh, Eskal because of the cluster which the men of Israel cut down there. And they returned from spying out the land after 40 days. And so they were spying out the land and they returned. And this is what the land was. It was exactly what God said it was going to be. God says, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. Go and possess it. Well, they saw a part of it. They saw that the land was flowing with milk and honey. It was a prosperous land. But the problem was they accepted the evil report, the minority report. The report that said, yes, there's, there's wonderful produce in the land, but there's giants in the land. And they saw themselves as grasshoppers. They saw themselves as small compared to the giants that were in the land. And so as a result of that, they wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years. How many years have we wandered in the wilderness because we've not accepted the report of the Lord? We've not accepted that God says that by his stripes we've been healed. We've not accepted that God says, I desire for you to prosper and be in health even as your soul prosper. That you can do all things through Christ as he strengthens me. You know, and so rather than receive the report of the Lord, because all of that is, it's no different than what he said to the, 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 the Israelites, except we have a more sure thing because it's already been accomplished through Christ. And so they wandered around in, in the wilderness for 40 years. But then we get into Joshua, 
the second chapter and the ninth verse, and it says, and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land that the, that, the, that the terror of you has fallen upon us. In other words, they're saying, I, we, we know the Lord's given it to you. The fear has fallen upon us. See, the fear was reversed. The fear was on them rather than the fear of man being on the children of Israel. And that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. Do you realize the world and the devil is to be faint-hearted because of us, not the other way around? But the majority of the time, we're the ones that are faint-hearted because of the world, because of the things that we see around us. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the kings of the Ammonites who were on the other side of the Jordan. And so they, they heard the report. They saw the things that took place. And so fear came upon them. And so what did they do? They possessed the land. They fulfilled the promise. <clears throat> but this is the thing. It should have happened 40 years prior if they would have simply believed the word of God. Now, the encouraging thing about this is we may have missed it in the past. I'll raise my hand for all of us. But we don't have to be defeated about it. We're not going to have to wait 40 years. Some of us don't have 40 years left in us. We don't have to wait 40 years because we have been redeemed through the blood of the Lamb. And so that which we missed can be restored to us or given to us if we'll just simply begin to put our trust and begin to put our confidence completely in Him. You can read the rest of that for yourself. But it talks about how they went in and they possessed and they took the promised land, which was the plan for God that God had for them all along. It was never God's plan for them to wander in the wilderness. It was never God's plan for you and I to wander in the wilderness. It's always been God's plan for us to have the victorious life. You know, in 1 Samuel, the 17th chapter, we talked about David a little bit on Sunday. I think it was Sunday. But, you know, how he was, he was mocked uh, because of what he said concerning Goliath. Why doesn't somebody do something about it? What did, what did David do? We have it in, in the notes. He says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Because he recognized the position that he had in Christ Jesus. Now, if David had yielded to it, submitted to the fear of man, he would have never risen up against Goliath. Remember what his brother says? What are you doing here? Why aren't you home taking care of those few sheep that you have? What'd you do? Come here to just gawk at what we're doing? You know, because he wasn't a warrior. You know, Saul going to help him out, put his armor on him, but it didn't fit. You know, the boy couldn't even maneuver because the stuff was so big for him. 
Can you just imagine what Saul is thinking at this point? Well, I'll let the boy go out there, but he's dead meat. There's no way he's going to be able to come. Everything that's going on around him is, is telling him, you're not going to succeed. But you know what? He didn't go by what man said, the fear of man. What, what's everybody going to think if, I, if, I, if I'm not victorious? Well, he's probably thinking the same thing I was thinking when I was working up in Wapaka, Wisconsin, helping a guy with a log cabin that he was building. And I was doing the trim along the edge of the roof and it was a two-story cabin, and I was on the peak of the roof, and the basement wasn't filled in. And, uh, you know, I don't like heights very well. And so I'm looking over the edge, thinking, man, alive, if I fall off this, you know, I, I could break my neck. But then I got comforted. I realized if I fall off this, it's going to be a whole lot more than my neck that gets broke. I'm going to be dead. You know, so what, where he finally found his peace was, you know, I don't have to worry about this. I don't have to worry about what everybody else is going to think because if I don't beat Goliath, I'm, <laughs> I'm just a story. I don't really think he thought that. I think he believed what, that God was behind him and he was going to succeed. And he did. But you know what? He would have never succeeded if he hadn't taken that first step. He would have never succeeded if he hadn't been willing to pull out a slingshot and pull out, you know, bend over and pick up three rocks. He wouldn't have, wouldn't have succeeded if he didn't take off running towards Goliath and throw the stone that hit him right smack between the eyeballs and knocked him over and took Goliath's own sword and cut off his head. Why was he able to do that? Because he put confidence in God. And that's where we need to be. We need to put our confidence in him knowing that he's not going to forsake us. He's not going to fail us. We're going to be victorious. Even though everybody else, everything around us, is telling us just the opposite. We're not going to succeed. You know, I, I was sharing on Sunday about Dan Dennison and, and how uh, uh, we went down there to COC together. He had been a bricklayer for 25 years and I'd been a plumber for 12 years. And uh, all these other individuals that were, that were so much more qualified than we were to, uh, to be in the ministry. And, uh, you know, I, I told him when I was up there visiting that we were the two most least likely to make it. But as far as I know, we're the two that stuck it out and remained in the ministry where everybody else stepped aside. But you know, it's interesting, everything that went on down there uh, told you just the opposite. You know, because we had this, they had this summer camp every year. And, uh, you know, I forget how many weeks it was, but every year when it'd start coming up, you had to redo the camp. And, you know, and so because I'd been a plumber for 12 years, you know, everybody got all different kinds of assignments, you know, I remember the one individual in my class, he was, he was the head of the bookstore, he got to take care of the materials and so forth. Another guy that was in my class, uh, he got to be the head of the counselors because we set up a big tent, we'd have tent meetings every night, and, and so if there was ministry that took place, he was the head of that, and, you know, and, and <clears throat> you know, there were uh, these girls that were in the school, you know, they uh, were able to sing and, 
And so they had a, a trail that they got to do. And there were all other kinds of wonderful opportunities like that um, that individuals got assigned to. And, and um, uh, I got assigned to uh, redoing the showers and the toilets and the lavatories because some of them had frozen up and were broke over the winter and so forth. And Dan got assignments very similar to that because he had been a, a bricklayer for all those years. And so, you know, basically what they're saying is we, we think this is something you can handle. You know, and so if we would have bought into that, uh, I would have probably gone back to plumbing and Dan would have probably gone back to bricklaying. But you know what? We believed what God had spoken to us. And, uh, and so we, we stepped out. We stepped out in faith. In fact, uh, the two of us had churches before anybody else out of that graduating class, which I, I think totally shocked everybody. You know, but um, God's into the shock value. He wants to use it in each of our lives if we'll but trust him and believe in him. When we take a stand for the Lord, the one who criticizes us uh, is the most, let me try this again. When we take a stand for the Lord, the one who criticizes us the most is under the most conviction. You know, I really believe that that's true. Some of the most critical people are, are the people that are under conviction. The people that put you down the most, um, they're operating in the fear of man. But what they're trying to do to make themselves feel better is they're, they're, they're trying to give, they're trying to devalue you. And just don't allow it to affect you. Rise above it because you know who you are in Christ Jesus. And so don't let, don't let man determine who you are. John 3.20 it says, for everyone who practices evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. You know what? <clears throat> we don't have to hide our deeds because we're in the light. We're demonstrating him. We see people around us all the time. They're trying to hide what they're doing. We don't have to hide what we're doing. We do it in the open. You know, that's why we, we put it on Facebook. We have nothing to hide as a church because what we're preaching is the truth. We don't, I, <clears throat> we don't have to have a hidden doctrine that we keep hidden from everybody until they get to a certain point and then we can expose it to them. No, 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 no. It's, it's all right out there in the open because it's all right here in this book. And that's how it needs to be in our lives and that's how our lives need to be. You know, <clears throat> I taught our kids when, we were growing, when they were growing up, I said, you know, how do you like Jefferson? Well, we like Jefferson. Well, I said, you know, if you like Jefferson, you need to watch what you're doing because you're a preacher's kid, and that means you live in a glass house. You know, to be truthful about it, every one of us, we live in a glass house. People see what's going on. And, uh, <clears throat> and, and so we're, 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 we're an open book. You know, if uh, uh, we have nothing to hide because we're here for the kingdom of God. If we've got something that we're hiding, then we need to reevaluate. We need to take another look. Immoral people want the dim of light of others 
so it won't shine on their sin. That's the reason criticism comes. They don't want the light to shine. Why do people criticize it? You're too shiny. You're too glitterly. You're too bright. And it exposes things. You ever notice how you can walk into a room and you haven't even done anything and people don't like you? Because <laughs> you're the light. You shine. I mean, I like to think of it that way. It might be that I'm just a jerk, but I like to think that it's because I, I, I shine so bright. You know, we, we, go, to, we go to stuff and, and uh, somehow we always, which is melancholy, is it really doesn't bother us that much, but we always find ourselves at a table by ourselves and everybody has a tendency to gravitate to the other side of the room. You know, so that's why we don't stay at places too long. We want them to be able to use the whole room. You know, but it's but we haven't done anything. I I I actually think I'm a pretty nice guy, you know. But it, it's funny how people don't don't see it that way. But it, see, I don't think it's because we flaunt what we believe, but it's because we believe what we believe, and so we therefore we live what we believe. And a lot of people they don't want that because. They just want to live what they believe when it's convenient. And so really what they're doing is they're living a life of preference rather than a life of conviction. You know, preference means you change according to the circumstances that you're in at that moment. Conviction means you live the same way no matter what. No matter who you're around, no matter what it is. Um, you live your life the same. Doesn't mean that we're obnoxious. We ought not to be obnoxious, but we ought to be living a life of conviction. Second Peter, or excuse me, Second Timothy three twelve, it says, "Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution." You know, what's interesting is that's not a well. Let me put it this way: that's a promise. If we live a if we live a godly life. We're going to be persecuted. It's going to come. People are going to. They're going to say things. They're going to. But, you know. Uh, wow, persecution is so tough here. You know because somebody might call you a Bible thumper or a Jesus freak or you go to that church or you know <clears throat> horrible persecution where you go to Sri Lanka and because of their faith. They lock the doors in the church and they burn it down. Now, now to me, that qualifies as real persecution. Uh, what we have to deal with most of the time is an inconvenience. And uh, let's not allow any of those inconveniences to get us to compromise what we truly believe. Jesus said, remember the words that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. You know, I, I think, especially when we read a passage like that, it's really difficult for us because uh, we have a hard time grasping the idea 
that we speak for the Lord. We're his voice here in the earth. And, and so when, when they don't want to hear about Jesus, when they don't want to hear the word of God, um, it, isn't, it isn't you that they're persecuting. It isn't you that they're rejecting. They're rejecting Jesus. Because we're his voice. We're his servants. We're his vessels. And he's my master. He's your master. And because he's our master, we speak his words and not the words of the world. And as a result of that, <clears throat> oftentimes the things that we say are not popular. But we're not here for popularity. We're here for souls. And you shall know the truth, and the truth so set you, set you free. But you know what? If you don't hear the truth, you can't be set free. And so our responsibility then is to speak truth. Because in speaking that truth, individuals will be set free. Will we be persecuted? Yes, it's a promise. There will be those that, as a result of not liking what they hear, they will turn from us. They will not want to associate with us. They will not want to affiliate with us. But you know what? That's okay. Because I found out something very interesting after living here for 37 years. Individuals that want absolutely nothing to do with me and the church that I pastor, the moment they enter a time of crisis, they call. They either call me or they have somebody that's part of the church that they know. They'll address them and they'll ask, will you have your pastor, will you have your church pray for us? Why? Because we're peculiar. They know the church that they go to, that won't happen. It won't be effective. But they know that if we say we'll pray, we'll pray. We have an expectation that something's going to happen. Amen. It's the truth. Like it or not, that's just how it is. So uh, y'all have a wonderful summer of Wednesdays. And we'll see you in the fall. And again, just keep your earballs open. Um, we may be doing something that you can at least check out online periodically. So be blessed. Have a great evening.